San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, buddy. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB or TuneIn Radio, you can hear this show on any device as it airs. And all these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com and iTunes. And now I usually introduce the the main man of the show. He's a CPA extraordinaire, an accomplished marathon runner, a lecturer, a best-selling author, a philanthropist, and the uh, family office expert advising several high net worth families. His name is Richard Musio, but Richard is on his way, winging his way to Detroit for a big tax court case that he's involved with. So tonight it is just myself. Uh, so there you have it. But um, so let's see here. Tonight's show is uh, very relevant to what's going on in the world, uh, especially if you're paying attention to, to the Middle East. And I have in studio, uh, she's a longtime resident of San Diego County and an appellate judge, I believe, on the 4th District of California, which I will verify with her in a moment. But, but it's Pat Banky. Pat, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Excellent. Excellent. <clears throat> well, I know you've written a book, and that's the main reason that you're here, but we like to get into our guest's uh, bio and background, so why don't you tell us born and raised uh, where and educated, and, and then uh, we'll get into uh, current current matters and, and the book. Well, I was born in Pennsylvania, uh-huh. in Newcastle, mm-hmm. and um, my parents moved to California at the beginning of the, the mass exodus, if you will, after World War II, mm-hmm. and we ended up in Pasadena, and I was raised in Pasadena. Yeah, Came down to school in San Diego, went to law school in San Diego, and worked right into the state attorney general's office. But let's get into the refugee situation. Both okay. your, uh, All four of your grandparents are from Syria, correct? Yes. Okay. And they got here, what year did, years did they get here? Oh, they came about 1910, 1911. Ah, and they settled in Pennsylvania? They well, my grandparents, of course, are gone, but I do have a, a very large family still mm-hmm. in the the uh, Wilkesbury Newcastle region. Mm. So, I mean, when they first came over from Syria, that's where they initially settled, all, that's right. all in Pennsylvania. That's right. They came over because they were needed. They worked in the coal mines. They worked in the steel mills. Ah, there you go. So that, that's when uh, the the mining and the and oil also in Pennsylvania. I mean, that's where a lot of it started, right? Yes. Pennsylvania and Ohio. Uh, I guess there's not much left now. I think most of the oil wells are, are, yeah. are they still producing oil back there or don't we know? You know, I don't know. I yeah. know I know some of the coal mining history and a, a lot of the still history mm-hmm. because that's where my family yeah. concentrated. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, people are in different parts of the world. They see, uh, you know, our nation thriving and, and they needed laborers and workers. I mean, you know, I had an Italian grandparent who came over, worked on the... Uh, the railroads as a 13-year-old, uh, you know, in Minnesota, of all places. My father worked on the railroad, too. Really? Yes. Well, I mean, uh, we take it for granted now or don't even pay attention, but, I mean, the railroads back in the, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, I mean, they, they completely crisscrossed the nation, and there were even, uh, you know, wars between, uh, you know, company, I don't want to say war war, but, you know, uh, business warfare between the competitors in the, in the, um, uh, railroad industry yeah. and many industries. I don't think he lasted long on the railroad. Yeah, <laughs> he was looking. He was looking. It, it was a short time in his life, and and then of course the World War II interrupted everything. Yeah, and when he got out, there was 
there was little work in Pennsylvania. It, it was uh, it was hit very hard. Yeah, yeah, and of course, uh, you know, things are are not um, great in certain industrial areas of the country in in the, in that area right now. Perhaps which may have turned the election. They think of last November, but. Um, so they settled in, and you grew up in Pennsylvania, and then uh, where'd you go to high school, and where'd you go to college? Well, I, I, my family was in, in Pennsylvania until I was about five. Okay. And there was the big storm, <laughs> and, and with the snow and the mm-hmm. record snow, my father decided the east was not the place to be. Uh, what year was that? Oh, goodness, that, that was a big, he, we left about 1953, uh. came, came west and established a family in pasadena and i went to high school in pasadena ah now why did he choose pasadena any particular reason i had an uncle who lived in arcadia and ah. so family was following family but it was a new world yeah different. <laughs> <laughs> warmth <Yes>. sun yes <laughs> you can't shovel the, sunshine right i mean well, it's the, a, the, vis- the visual of the east and the visual of the west were distinctly different to me when i was little was that culture shock for you kind of and was it was it was a good thing though wasn't it or oh, yeah it was it was a, it was a good th- it was a good thing it the school district in particular uh, was at the at its very height at the top of the top of the the ladder and ah. and there was a lot there were a lot of uh, uh folks with families that were new to california mm, mm. so the um yeah i know um, boy the school systems have certainly changed uh, over the years i guess it just depends you know what what part of the state you're in or whatnot yeah. but um uh, have you gone back to your school, your schools at all, and uh, done anything there, or seen what it's looked like? Has it changed quite a bit? My fiftieth high school reunion. Oh my gosh! Is this year, <laughs> one one summer a couple of years ago, my sister and I decided we were going to visit the the elementary school, and mm-hmm. and they, it was during the summer, so the the, the uh, summer workers were very kind. They let us in, and we ran around on the stage in places we remembered. Oh my gosh! That was great. Deja vu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So grade school there and uh, high school, I guess, in pa- Pasadena area, too? Or? Yes, Muir, oh, John oh, Muir, Pasadena. Oh, okay, and then uh, how about uh, college level? Oh, San Diego State. We came down to San Diego State. I was a, a major then. I was thinking seriously of journalism and ah, TV and radio, and I ah. worked for a while at KPBS for a gentleman there. Ah. And um, Who'd you work for over there? Peter Kay. Okay. Peter Kay from San Diego Union. And this is had, when they were still working out of an apartment building or something? Yes, yes. <laughs> you remember El Nido. <laughs> I remember the two-bit sandwich shop. Yeah, there. well, I know Tom Carlo, so we've oh, heard, Tom's a good friend. Yeah, we've heard plenty of stories. Yes. So, <laughs> it's a wonderful state. Yeah, what'd you do over there? Just out of curiosity, I was a political writer. Really? And I started as a political writer for Peter Kay. Okay. And worked on several of the major productions, the Bronowski mm. series that they did there, mm. and um, decided Asc- that I wanted to go into journalism. Yeah, the Ascent of Man, right? That was the a Jacob Bronowski. I was there. I was there at that time as a student. It was my first job. That was, and, a, that was a big deal. That was how many oh, how many was. parts to that series? It was, oh my goodness, I don't I don't recall. I, I got to sit and be inter, and interview him. Which was was, a, was it more about uh, anthropology or what was or oh, co- it? Was everything cosmology? Everything? It was huh? Everything. I I got to go up to um, UCSD and, uh-huh. and sit in on his classes up there mm. to get ready for the production. What did he teach exactly? Um, he was doing, let's see, which class did I sit in on? I sat in on um, research on the brain, ah. which he was just getting into then. Jeez, boy, he, if he was around today to see what's going on. We had Dr. Ralph Greenspan on here. They're, they're starting to map the brain. I mean, they, yes. they know there's about 800 billion cells, I think, in there, last I checked. <laughs> Fascinating. It was, it was really a great time for me. Yeah, 
And I decided I was going to go into journalism. And Peter said, if you do, I'm going to fire you. Wow. And he would have. He really? Would, yeah, yeah, he would have. So I, I went to law school, which I'd always wanted. I Did he encourage you to go to law school then? Or? Oh, yes, yes. And where'd you, where'd you wind up going to law school? Um, over at USD. USD, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, excellent. So all San Diego, this is great. This is great. And graduated U.S. Uh, law school when? 1974, and they were looking for expansion then in the state attorney general's office. Mm, and mm. so I went, I went over there and stayed there for nine years. How was the uh, men-to-women ratio back in those days? Uh, uh, it was not really good. <laughs> not, not, in the private, not in the private firms, but in yeah. the government firms, particularly the attorney general's office was looking it was looking to uh, diversify. Yeah. And so they hired us, the seven in my class, four of us were women. Yeah, well, that's just when the uh, the women's movement really started to take hold in the, in the early mid-70s. Oh, so your timing, your timing was great. <clears throat> We've had, you know, Billie Jean King on this show. And I think that match in 1974, or 73, excuse me, September 20, between Bobby Riggs, I mean, I, and I remember being in school. And... Uh, yeah, the, the women were taken to the streets. So that's that's about right. Yeah. In, in the legal profession, in locally, the local firms, there there was a he- hesitance to hire women, and um, and especially not women from the local law schools. Yeah. Well, Sandra J. O'Connor finished number one in her class at Stanford and gets gets out, tries to apply to a firm, and they they want to make her a paralegal or a secretary. And uh, boy, oh, oh boy. my goodness, that yeah. is that is true. I interviewed and I got home. The phone rang. And it was one of the partners on the phone, and he said, you're really a great candidate, but I want to tell you you're going to be blackballed. There's, there are a few people here at the firm who will not hire a woman. How about that? And I said, huh. fine, that's good. Huh. <laughs> well, we're going to have to come. We're coming up on a break real soon, I think, Justin. Right? Do you have some music for us? And we're going to be coming back with uh, Pat Patricia Banke, appellate justice of the 4th District of the State of California, right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with Judge Pat Banke, 4th District State of California. Has a book out. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, when we last thought, I know she graduated uh, University of San Diego School of Law and then wound up in the Attorney General's Office for the State of California. And uh, we found out that uh, the, uh, the the men-to-women ratio wasn't that equal back then. And um, maybe what did you run into there early on? You, you, you actually heard that some of the uh, some men would not hire women, right? In the, what, oh, the, yes. That's, uh, that's the experience, I think, of the generation of women just before me. Mm. Uh, there are some wonderful stories of the leaders, the women who were leaders in the legal profession. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them uh, is the chief of our court, and there are some great stories of, of how those barriers were broken. Mm-hmm. For example, she and a couple of her friends went into the grant, the Grant Grill, yes, the Grant Gr- and wanted to be served lunch, and they yeah, a lot of people don't realize serve them. Yeah, the Grant the U.S. Grant Hotel, yeah. folks. They they had their their power lunch place, which was a, a club for men essentially, and they would not allow women in there. Can you imagine well, uh, for they, lunch or uh, period? You well, couldn't get in there any time of day, right? That's right. They sat down and and they said we want to have lunch, and and there were a lot of startled people around, but they stayed, and eventually they were served lunch. And if you look closely, there's a plaque right now. Yes. In in the, in the restaurant and the lobby. Yes. This, this is where Judith McConnell sat. Judith McConnell, <laughs> and then. Uh, uh, I think Judith who, Keep. Uh, Judith, Judith Keep. Keep. Oh, there, Judith Keep. And mm-hmm. then um, 
Uh, who was the congresswoman? Uh, Lori Black was chief of staff. Oh, my gosh. It's uh, C. Hugh Friedman's wife. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Uh, what was her name? <laughs> Lynn Shank. Gosh. Lynn, yeah. Oh, I, my apologies. There my were brain. four of them. Yeah. They, they sat down. And I've seen that it. plaque. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, folks, when you go to the U.S. The US grant, uh, go check it out. It's it's there. So, uh, you know, that's not all that long ago no. when you think about it. It, it really isn't. And I benefited mm-hmm. from that. When, mm-hmm. when I came to the attorney general's office, they were very welcoming of women. Mm-hmm. When I had my first child, they said, bring him to work with you if you want, Pat. And I tried that for one day. <laughs> was, but it was it was the beginning of a different time. Yeah, so what were your first uh, duties and responsibilities in, as an attorney general? What was so beautiful about the office is you started as a new attorney. Every case was yours. Mm-hmm. You carried it from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. If it went to the U.S. Supreme Court, you went with it. Wow. My first year, um, if I'd been in a private firm, I would have been carrying somebody's briefcase, I'm sure, around for a long time yeah. before they'd let me say anything in court. In the first year, I was arguing in the California Supreme Court because one <sighs> of my cases that? went. Yeah. Huh. What was that case about? You, uh, oh, I remember it distinctly. It was, it, was, um, it was about the theft of a car, whether the car was taken... Um, as a theft or whether it was joyriding. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a great opportunity to see a, an iconic court because the, the members of that court were just terrific. Yeah. Who was Chief Justice back then? Well, we had to, Tabr- let's see, Tabriner is the one that I remember, mm. I, I distinctly remember, and mm-hmm. McComb mm-hmm. Was, was there. He was the elder statesman of the court. Gotcha. Did any cases ever get up to the U.S. Supreme Court? No. I got close, but yes, lots of cases did, and, yeah. um, and it was a wonderful education for new attorneys. So usually the attorney general, uh, cr- it's criminal, civil, both, and then, but a lot of these get it to the appellate level, right, because they, um, they get appealed, and then, uh, yes. then they fall into your... In, uh, in, the criminal, in the criminal arena, those cases that are tried are tried typically by the district attorney's office. Mm-hmm. If there is an appeal... I'm, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but most of them are handled then by the attorney general's office. Ah. And I was one of the criminal law deputies. Gotcha. So uh, at what point, at what year did uh, did you think you wanted to become a uh, an appellate justice? What a great question. <laughs> <laughs> the clerk of the court then um, swears that I came in one afternoon and filed something and said I'm going to sit here one day. And it was a, a very interesting experience the first time I sat. Um, the first day, because uh, nine years, for nine years, I'd been arguing before that court. Uh, and so it was something you think about, but it isn't something you plan for. Mm-hmm. George Duke Mason was the attorney general. Mm-hmm. Then he became the governor, and mm. he appointed a number of people from the office statewide mm. from his attorney general's office. Ah. So where was your office at that time? Was it down at the, the building on Front and Ash? Or? Yes, it okay. was. It was. Yes, and we had to move because the building couldn't handle all the books. Yeah, not to mention asbestos and whatnot. Right? Oh, yeah, that, that, too. <laughs> that too. So where is your court now? I don't even know. Is it on Broadway? I don't Symphony even know. Symphony Towers. Symphony Towers. Symphony Towers. We have, um, we have the second, third, fourth, and fifth floors. How about that? Did not even know that. I thought you were still down in the state building there. No, so. and there's a beautiful courtroom right there. Excellent. On the third floor. We'll have to come and get a tour sometime. You should. So. You should. It's beautiful. <laughs> we, we, we redid it. We rebuilt Especially uh, if there's a good a good case being argued or something that, oh, that's coming up. Oh, we've always got 
interesting cases yeah, because we take everything yeah. except death penalty. So this is where uh, constitutional rights are hashed out every day, right? Oh, yes. Pretty much. That's yes, basically and, and people come to our court without attorneys. They argue the cases themselves. Really? And, um, wow. and we accord them all of the attention that every other case gets. How do they do generally against uh, attorneys? It, uh, well, it's a little bit rough. It's, mean, it's an important question yeah. because we are so welcoming and we've reached out to pro pers, people mm-hmm. who come into court with their own case. Sometimes, you know, one of the big challenges is to be sure that they understand their rights and they have everything yeah. before the court that we need yeah. to decide the case. And I'm sure there's tactical things that they need to know, uh, like if uh, opposing counsel is making some kind of uh, irrelevant argument, then, you know, can they say anything in appellate court? No, no, no. You get a certain amount of time if you're the appellant, and then oh. the respondent has a certain amount of time. That's There's true. no discussion between the parties. And then how long does it usually take to get a ruling on a case? Because you must have a backlog of some sort, right? We're, re- we're very nicely up to date. Really, we, that's good. We, we submit a case, and from the time we tell the parties it is now submitted, we have 90 days. Really? And wow. and it is, uh, we've, we've managed to keep a very good record of staying within that 90-day period. If you don't get the case out in 90 days, you don't get paid. Huh. How about that? Uh, California Supreme Court, different story, I would take. And I'd probably it's the same thing. Oh, really? 90 it's days? It's the same thing. They don't calendar their cases up there un- until it's ready, until the case is actually ready. So. Huh. I wish the uh, f- the federal side would uh, get in line with that, huh? Because I don't know an awful <laughs> lot about that, but I don't know that we have the same timetables. <laughs> Outstanding. So, um, so what year did you actually become a, a, a justice of? Nineteen eighty-six. Eighty-six. Okay. So wow, we're going on what thirty? I was thirty-seven. Yeah, I was appointed. Thirty-one. Pretty young. <laughs> Well, that is young. To, yeah, that is pretty young to be an appellate justice. I right? still hold the record. D- really, as the youngest appellate justice. Um, wow, appointed. that is amazing. And I was the first woman. Talk about women being um, active in the legal community. Is I that was, right? You broke the, the uh, You broke the glass ceiling in the appellate in, court in, in the state of California. Not in the state. In but the in our um, our, in district. our district. Yeah. yeah, you were explaining before the jurisdictional breakdown because you're the second. To, you want to explain uh, how well, much? We're the fourth. The, the state fourth. is I mean, divided up into districts. We are the we're the fourth, fourth. district, and right. we have. We have three divisions within the 4th District. Mm. We're the first here in San Diego and Imperial County. Um, Orange County is the third, and Riverside, San Bernardino, which has seen so much growth, mm. amazing growth and needs, judicial mm. needs, mm. is Riverside, San Bernardino. That's the second And those are all, uh, all appellate courts, right? Yes. Okay. And then, of course, there's Northern California and whatnot. How many total? Uh, six. Six districts. Okay. Wow. And then... Um, how many, how many did you get before the California Supreme Court? And that must be in Sacramento, I take it, right? Oh, you mean cases that, yeah, I, that yeah, I handled? Yeah. Oh, I think I was up there four or five times and won almost to the U.S. Supreme Court. Really? What so one was that What was that about? That it was one? about searching trunks ah, of cars for yeah. contraband. Yeah. Usually. And it, it's amazing. I was, I was on the court. Um, I was at the Attorney General's office at the time and then on the court when Rose Byrd was, mm. was elected. And... Uh, of course, you know that was the that, only time. That was a big capital punishment uh, yes. controversy, right? Oh yes. Which yes. we almost have it. Did we? I don't think we uh, um, in the proposition last time. I, I don't think it, I don't think it carried, but it almost did as far as banning capital punishment. It right? did not. Yeah. It did not. But by by a small Mar- margin. Yeah. The bigger proposition was prop is is Prop sixty six, and that's the one that moves death penalty cases the habeas is a certain type of relief into the courts of appeal mm. and out of the California Supreme Court. And that is going to have a profound effect on 
um, on the workloads of the of the courts of appeal. The it is now before the California Supreme Court. They took it, and mm. and it's a fascinating proposition. In other words, you're appealing the pro- the proposition outcome of that because um, they the there was a petition for hearing uh-huh. uh, sought on Prop 66 directly, which did did pass, right? It did pass. Yeah. Interesting. So they're going. So the whole deal is to shift the burden of those capital cases to the appellate le- directly to the appellate level. Is that That's the deal? Several. There are several um, goals of of the proposition, and um, one of the one of the requirements that's very very important, I think, to the de- the defendants is that uh, defense counsel is that they must take a capital case. Yeah. Okay. We'll come back with Justice Pat Banky of the Fourth District from the State of California right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life. And this is a time where Richard and I like to thank our sponsors. Of course, Richard is on travel, so uh, I have to do the duties myself. And we first and foremost, we like to thank ABC Family Law, operated and owned by uh, partners uh, and attorneys at Sharon Blanchet and Lisa Christensen and all the great women who do uh, family law in their office. They've been there many, many years and uh, do a lot of great work in that field. And uh, next uh, among them is UBS, Drew Freedies, and Michael Caranta and their award-winning wealth management team. Signature Analytics and Jason Kruger, they provide great CFO services and CPA services, and they now have seven offices in four states. Polito Epic, best CPAs on the planet, as Richard likes to say, with sharp new offices in San Marcos. Uh, Kurt Gotro and Joel Greshkin with Cost Segregation Initiatives. They help real estate owners improve their cash flow through expert use of the income, income tax code. And the law office of Brenda Geiger, recent guest, tops in their fields on asset protection and estate planning, also another USD uh, School of Law graduate. Uh, Lane Elliott and, uh, uh, excuse me, Sean Puckett with uh, California Mechanics Bank, uh, specializing in serving wealthy families and family offices. Also Hub International, also known as Mars Maddox and Insurance, Neil Staley and his group, they're best in the business in the area of employment, employment benefits. The Lombardi Group, they connect CPAs and attorneys throughout the U.S. with great educational events and uh, featuring proven wealth advisors. Always great to have them on. And Paul Hines with, with Hearthstone Private Wealth Management. He also heads up Senior Safe and Sound. Their mission is to fight financial abuse of elders. Great information at SeniorSafeAndSound.org. And we also like to thank Michelle St. Clair and Elite Lifestyle Management. They, she provides and her company provides top-level concierge services for extremely busy, uh, high-level clients and executives. And the Very Good Food Foundation, led by Michelle Ciccarelli Lirac, spreading the word on hosting events about the importance of good food, good health, and sustainability all year long. They do four great shows with us, and of course, we'll be there for the Very Good Night Dinner in June. And lastly, uh, Lestat's Coffee Houses, they serve great coffee, beverages, soups, salads, sandwiches, all at, at all three locations, Normal Heights, University Heights, and now Hillcrest, all open 24-7, 365. Everything made uh, fresh, fresh daily, made on site, always crowded. And a great place to people watch. And if you get over to IYMoney.com, there is a uh, get your cursor over to the sponsor tab. There's a drop down menu, and you can learn about any one or all of our sponsors. And also check out our great uh, media kit on there. You can see uh, how many people we reach uh, um, on a, we- a daily, a weekly basis, and some great photos with a lot of our prior guests. Uh, so there you have it. Anyway, back with Patricia Banky, uh, Justice of the. Do you go by Judge or Justice? Is it, uh, what's the title? Justice, judge, Just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. Pat's from, fine. Yeah, from the fourth uh, fourth district of the state of California appellate court uh, down in Symphony Towers. I did not know they were down there. So um, 
Can anyone just come in and sit in on a case? Oh, of course. Class? Really? We're open to the public. Open to the public. How about that? So if you're in the neighborhood, folks, uh, ch- check that out. So We only have oral argument the first full, a uh, second full week of the month. Ah, okay. Second full week of the month. So keep that in mind, and we'll try to get that in our blog so people, when they read up on, on you, they'll know. Now, uh, I know you wrote a book. We can talk more about the law as well, but... Uh, it's uh, Q-Dean the Magni- Magnificent? Kudeen the Magnificent. Kudeen. So that's Q-U-D-E-E-N, The Magnificent mm-hmm. by Patricia D. Burke. And uh, when was this released? Let's see. That was released, um, I just pr- it was just published. Mm, just published 2017. Just published. Okay. Yeah. Now, what was, I think there's a lot of autobiographical, I know it's a novel of yeah. sorts, right? But, um, you know, 12 compelling stories of young girls in conflict with their Arabic uh, Arabic. Uh, Arab culture and the world around them. Arabic, how do you say Arabic? I guess Arabic. 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 Um, so there's probably a lot of, uh, you know, um, inspiration from family and, and personal experience, I would take it, right? Oh, it's a mix. It's okay. a mix of fiction, fact, biography, autobiography. I started writing it eight years ago. Really? Yeah. This is a culmination of eight years' work. They take about that long. We had... Uh, <laughs> The book we had on, uh, the, did you know Mitch Costanza at all? You oh, I know, the, yes. Okay, yep. so we had Doreen Mattingly on, professor. It took her about sure. seven years to research and write the, the book. I have on 600 Mitch. pages of research. Really? I, writ- I wrote four novels before that book. Oh, really? And I decided in the third one that I really wanted to switch, move to a different kind of writing. Huh. And um, the, the four were legal books. Mm. They really were couched in, in the legal profession. Mm. And when I got to the third one, which was about the workers in the fields up mm. in North County, I decided that's what I wanted to write about. Mm. And I started writing um, a book that I called Cascade Park. And mm. I was just gathering stories and information and, um, and the motivation for that uh, was what to tell their stories, their hardship, their challenge. Immigrant, the immigrant yeah. soul, the immigrant experience is yeah. very important, interesting to me. It yeah. fascinates me, not just the Arabic culture, but all immigrants. And the third book dealt with the Hispanic culture yeah. and the Oaxacan Indian culture in Mexico. And I just fell in love with it. Yeah. And I've always written. I Have mean, you been to the Mayan ruins down there? My friends, no, were, my no. fr- they're almost uh, in Guatemala, whatever. I mean, my friends just were visiting there and yeah. put up some fascinating, uh, like pyramids of the of our continent, pretty yeah. much. But um, so, um, th- those books about the immigrant experience, uh, I guess you were, you found, you found their, their, uh, stories compelling and, um, and their experience compelling because, you know, look, uh, I know that they've been recently de- been demonized, uh, by, uh, certain politicians. We won't go and name names, but it, you don't have to be a genius to figure it out. Uh, look, there's good and bad people from all walks of life and, and, I think generally amongst the immigrant population, uh, especially the ones working in the fields, they work hard, don't they? And oh, abs- absolutely. When I wrote the book eight years ago, it, it was never, and it still is not intended to be a political comment. Mm-hmm. It was about assimilation. Yeah. What happens when assimilation takes place over a generation? Yeah. And th- my, my good friend, Peter Kay, mm-hmm. uh, read every word that I wrote over this, this, this because he remained a, a very, very good friend. Mm-hmm. And he kept telling me, turn it to first person, turn it to first person, and I finally did. Mm. And that book that really could never take off with one character mm-hmm. fell into short stories. Ah. And the short stories became... Um, became this this book, and mm-hmm. I look at it perhaps as a trilogy. Kind of like James Joyce and the Dubliners. That's a series uh, of, of yeah. short stories. I yes. want, 
But um, so Cudine, who is Cudine? He's a horse. A horse. He's okay. a horse. And in the first, in the first story, um, it's clarified pretty quickly that that um, that Cudine is a is a is a horse that was owned in Syria by the grandfather of the character in that story. Mm-hmm. And um, the Arabian horses were war horses that were t- that were taken care of like children. Mm. And when he, when the owner died, he went to the grave and he laid down on it and he died. He wouldn't eat, wouldn't drink water. That was that was a true story. When, really, as, as my father told me, um, he begins as a true a, a, a true horse in the, at the beginning. Well, Arabian horses to this day have quite a bit oh, of value, yes. right? I oh, mean, they're, they're just they're just beautiful, and they are. They're very small horse. Yeah. They, they are very distinct. And um, and then through the book in the short stories he changes form. In the second he's a mule, mm-hmm. and he's a carousel horse. And so the question is, how is this icon of assimilation changing? Mm. And is he gone by the end of the uh, of the stories? Mm. Mm. Excellent. So um, so did your family have much? Uh, did they work? I guess with Arabian horses back. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not a horse person. No. I love them. I yeah. think I think especially little girls growing up like horses. Yeah, and I just always loved them. And um, and I went back and forth as to what I was going to call this book. It was mm-hmm. it was a story about a young woman, and mm-hmm. it became something much different. Hmm. The first eight stories to me are the creating of an immigrant soul. The very yeah. last story is a difficult one, I think, to read. But that's deconstruction. Mm. Trying to remember at any point who you are, learn who you are. Learn who your family is several generations later is difficult. Well, the the transition is tough because usually you get first generation here and uh, they pretty much stick with their native language. I know it happens in the Italians and uh, you know other other immigrant groups, and then the children go to school and they become pretty much bilingual, uh, and then a lot of them try to distance themselves from their you know their their uh, native roots too to try to assimilate right or try to exactly. fit in. Exactly. And what do you do when you want to go back and and reconstruct yeah. what, what it was that made you where you are right now. Yeah. I, I never wanted to see Aleppo. I had no desire to go to the Middle East ever. Mm. And after I, stu- after I wrote this and published it, I thought, how wonderful to go to Aleppo. That's where my family is said to be from, from the castle there. Yeah. I'll never see it. Yeah, well, now it's been pretty much... Rubble. Has uh, the whole place been destroyed, uh, Aleppo? Because I understand oh, it I was... I don't think they're taking tourists. It's yeah. pretty much um, decimated. Yeah. You know, I knew the GM of maybe you knew Clayton Brace when he was oh, around back yes. in the day, and um, he wrote he worked for Time Life at a TV station, I think in Beirut, <clears throat> before he came over came over here, and it was a beautiful place there at one point in time, you know, resort town. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be back with Justice Patricia Banky, fourth fourth district of the state of California appellate court, right after this. Hang on. Good selection, Justice. A little law and order. We're going to get some law and order with Justice Pat Banky here, 4th District, State of California, Appellate Court. Um, what are some of the, wh- which characters would you relate to the most in, in the, uh, the series of short stories that you've written? Well, each of the stories, I like to think, has a particular theme, particular um, uh, themes that, that, that were important to me. Mm-hmm. The one that the one that I and people are always asking me the question, which one is you? Mm-hmm. And there really isn't any any answer to that. It's it's all kind of mixed mm. together. Gotcha. The one that I enjoyed writing a lot was Beggar's Opera, mm. and that's about a little girl who lives in a, in a township called Nantiglow, which exists. And I was very captivated by the type by the name. Mm. So I thought it, w- it might be interesting to write about uh, 
about a little girl who's a little mischievous mm -hmm. and has a relationship, a, a deep friendship with a wandering violinist mm. who was a beggar and who had an interesting history um, pre-war, World War II. Mm -hmm. And then during the war, when his family, um, and his family was Jewish, uh, was really split up. And so the, the little girl in, in that book, I think in a lot of ways, um, I've added myself to it. The yeah. opening of it is, is definitely something that I, I hate to admit it, but I did do. I sat with a little, a little guy. Now, I was, it was a friend who mm -hmm. I had to take care of. Mm -hmm. And um, what happens in that story is, um, has a lot of truth to it. Yeah. Nanty Glow, it's N-A-N-T-Y, and another word, G-L-O, that's Black Lick Valley. That's a real place? That's a real place. Where is that? That is near Newcastle. Which is the city I was born? Oh, in, in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. Okay, I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking Pas Pasadena. I'm no, sorry. <laughs> well, that's one of the. This is one of the early stories, gotcha. and so they're chronological. And gotcha. And it's it's the fourth. It's the fourth yeah. story. Well, now you know since you're a San Diego State graduate, they have a wonderful film department, and they may be looking. The students are always looking for interesting content to make a short film. And, oh yeah. Uh, uh, so I'm gonna. I know Professor Greg Durbin over there. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell him about this book here. It, it, the stories are really interesting. There are a lot of characters in each of them. Yeah. And mostly what it is, it's all little girls. They're girls between the ages of 7 and, and 11. Yeah. And they are seeing the world through where they are at that particular point in history. Yeah. Now, Syria today, uh, it's, a, it's a hot, a hot, hot conflict area, I guess. Uh, it's got to be a little bit disconcerting for you, right, to see what's going on. Or Actually, we're not seeing it, but we, we, we see bits and pieces. And it's kind of frustrating. I mean, if it was Italy, you know, my, I mean, I'd be upset. Everyone should relate to this. So think of where your grandparents or their parents came from and think of that country getting decimated uh, in warfare, whether it's civil war or outside forces. It, it's, um, it's emotional, isn't it? It's well, not as much for me. See, mm -hmm. I'm second generation, right? And this book began um, when I was well into my 30s, 40s. I started collecting information. Mm -hmm. Looking back, it's looking back for yeah. me that that is. Uh, I'm looking for those roots, if yeah. you will, that have been assimilated. I'm yeah. one of those the, the people you mentioned whose yeah. children. Were assimilated. Well, yeah, I mean, I was born. I consider myself an American first, and I try, actually, I try, in a way, um, it's a balance. I mean, we 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 want to keep some of our um, national national roots, uh, others, you know, nationality roots. But uh, we all, I consider myself American first and foremost, and um, you know, to get, you know, I, I think the melting pot's a good idea to try to get uh, to get people together to kind of. You know, get mutually respect each other and and uh, and not be biased or bigoted because of certain customs or rituals or whatever. I mean, we're all basically people and human beings when you come right down to it. Um, so whether it's by country or religion, but I know that those <laughs> those keep, go back generations right, and people. And right. I think people come to America because they 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 probably want to get away from all that conflict and, and whatnot, right? Well, they, they do, I think, and I, th I think you've hit on something that's of interest to me, and that's that you keep your roots. You, mm -hmm. you assimilate. You become part of what we call the melting pot, but, mm -hmm. but we are allowed and we do, uh, as human beings, keep so much of, um, it's almost genetic. Mm -hmm. you, you keep your, your history, your background, yeah. and, and even revere your background, mm -hmm. but at the same time become part of 
mm-hmm. society that we have. Or not. I mean, some people become agnostic. I, I think amongst millennials now, they are pretty much uh, just going their own way. Have you seen the data on that? I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're not as religious as prior generations and, and uh, more uh, independent politically. Uh, matter of fact, the, the largest political party in the country is 43%. It's the no party preference or the independents. I mean, that's more than the other two parties. I mean, that's that's an interesting uh, dynamic going on there, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. It is it is an interesting dynamic. Where it's going to end up, I, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I teach a constitutional law class. Mm. We do a lot of study of, of American history, and I show them a wonderful series that was uh, created by PBS on the courts. Mm. And, and one of the things it does is to point out where in our history we have had massive turmoil. Mm. What we have today, uh, it's my feeling, is is different, certainly, and, and it's it's dangerous in in a government that's fragile, that the mm-hmm. relationship of the arms of government are fragile and they have to be respected. Yeah. Um, but we, ha- we have had really bad times. Mm. Uh, and, True. And we've gotten through it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the, in the court system, I know we were even talking about pensions before and everything else. Has there been, you know, a little economic impact on the, on the justice system in the state of California? Oh, yes. Uh, it, we are constantly fighting for funds, needing, mm-hmm. needing, um, especially attempting to bring in people who cannot afford counsel. They come into court. Uh, we've opened the courts. We've tried to make resources available ACLU helping out much? Oh, well, you know, in in their own way they do, but we're talking hard dollars, (laughs) uh, keeping keeping courtrooms open. Yeah, they've closed some courts, haven't they? Yes, they have. They have. It's a little better, but but we're always watching and we're always dealing with other arms of the government that also would like the resources. They're building more jails and they're making less courts. Yeah, (laughs) it's hard to tell sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's hope the... uh, Well, I I am for getting rid of the... um, the uh, capital punishment. I don't know if you what your stand is on that, or if you wish to. We don't. Well, I can't. I'm, yeah. I'm not permitted to. Right, right. There are. Um, we of course keep in touch with the pros and cons, and mm-hmm. and um, the impact. The impact on the system is is, is yeah. what is most. You know what? You know what a cool development has been. We have a couple minutes left, but this innocence project where they've actually found uh, you know evidence and DNA evidence to free uh, inmates who have been in jail t- twenty, thirty years or more. Um, I think that's been a pretty cool yes. development with science, yes. right? Science. The relationship of science to the law is a fascinating one because mm-hmm. the law always catches up after the science has been mm-hmm. developed and established. Mm-hmm. And that's one area that y- you can look at and you can say, oh my gosh, you know, the DNA science has advanced so far. Yeah. We just solved a cold case of 25 years. Wow. B- by being able to take DNA out of the victim's pocket in his jeans. Really? And identify. Uh, the the per- person perpetrators. And justice was served. You found you found the people. After huh? many, well, it wasn't the courts. But it was the, the, the district yeah. attorney's office. Yeah. But but that's what you see I, happening. I love that show, Forensic Files. I think yeah. that's r- r- really great. And of course, in the high tech world too. I mean, the corporate fraud going on now and. Um, and this quant investing, I'm still not entirely sure. I mean, I don't know how a company can make 80% annualized returns uh, trading, um, uh, and you know, on a, on a yearly basis uh, without, uh, you know, doing something. Just who does that? <laughs> we, we, uh, well, you know, we get bubbles of the law, uh-huh. problems in the law coming through. Yeah. So we're just beginning to finish up the cases dealing with loans. Um, ah, and really? what, what happened um, a decade ago. 
And we get them, but we get them slowly. How about derivatives? You had any cases on those derivatives? No, yeah, I haven't. No one wants to touch those things. <laughs> well, I don't know if they've come to your court yet, but uh, I, I still think there's a lot of mystery going on about that that we, uh, yeah. we're not entirely uh, aware of. And, and it's, it's, our court can only look at the record that was created below. We look at the transcript. We look at what came in at trial, but we are absolutely forbidden to do independent kinds mm-hmm. of research. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been so great having you on. You've been on the bench with 30, what, Ooh. 35 years or so? I've been 30. 30, 30 years, 30 great. 30 years on great. that Court of Appeal. Great. Patricia Banke, Justice of the 4th District Court of Appeal for the State of California, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you for inviting me. Good luck with your book. I'll get it out to San Diego State Thanks. so we get some film made. <laughs> Richard you. Musio, safe travels to you. Justice uh, Hart, uh, Justice, uh, Justin Hart, <laughs> our board operator, thank, thank you for making it sound terrific. Thanks to Craig Blanke, our account executive, and to Dave Sniff, our programming executive here at KFMB. All these podcasts are commercial free on iwaymoney.com. See you next time. Bye-bye now.